Okay, I am recording my audio because that's what we do here. Welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast. I'm Andrea Renee, joined by Brittany Brombacher. Hello. And God, that was so bad. I'm so sorry. Steiner. Oh, hi. That's disgusting. I don't even know what that was, Britt. You know, I'm here physically, mentally. I don't know. It's okay. I, I think got mentally this. we're all a little bit gone today. Yeah. It's been a long Indeed. couple weeks. It has. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are glad that you are here joining us for What's Good Games resource for video game news analysis, commentary, and funny stuff. This week, we are going to be talking about some video games. Shock of all shocks. <laughs> oh, my I God. I know you didn't see it coming. Um, never see, see it coming. I was waiting for it. <laughs> I got you. Um, we are looking forward to next week. It's finally here. PAX East 2018, just mere days away. We will be in Boston in what, four days? Five days? It's crazy. Yeah, man. Our first year where PAX East is now four days long. They added a fourth day. So now it goes Thursday through Sunday, much like San Diego Comic Con. We are having a panel. It's What's Good Games Live. It's Friday, April 6th at 3 p.m. in the Arachnid Theater. I was told that there are 400 seats. Oh my god! The Arachnid Theater. So a lot of people. (laughs) It is, but surprise, we are going to be giving away a special little gift for everybody who attends the panel. (laughs) What is it? We have. I guess we're going to have to come to the panel to find out. Oh yes, Simon, we haven't told you about it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what is it? I don't even know. You have to find um, out. Yeah, it's um. I'll, I'll show tell you after the show. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One for you, two, Steimer. Yeah. Um. So we're excited about that. We'd love for you guys to come out and um check out the show, and then afterwards we're gonna head on over to the Whiskey Priest from five to seven p.m. for the What's Good Games Happy Hour. So it's gonna be a great Friday at PAX East, and we hope that you can join us. But if you can't, we will be posting the show as per usual on Friday next week. So don't worry, we will still get to hear us talk about games, and we're gonna be hopefully shooting a little behind the scenes thing at packs that you can watch at patreon.com slash what's good games every month over on our patreon you guys get access to an exclusive video that only appears on patreon and nowhere else so if you guys want to get in on that it's going to cost you just one dollar one whole dollar per month at patreon.com slash what's good games Britt, do we have an update on the itunes percentages it's still seven percent so we're holding steady I, well, I was real happy because we went down a percent between last two weeks ago and last week. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening to us on iTunes, please pull over to the side of the road. Please stop working. Please stop doing whatever productive thing you are doing and subscribe to us on iTunes. Thank you. Much love. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Just do it. Um, I was noticing how how big our What's Good Games Facebook fan page is getting. We're at over 1,300 members now. I Isn't know. that crazy? 
it's awesome. And it's really cool about it is when we first launched What's Good Games, uh, Jay, who's one of the moderators on the, on the group, was like, hey, I'm going to start this page. Hope you don't mind. And I was like, haha, no, go for it. It's just a cute little page. And now it's like 1,300 members strong. It's an awesome community. So if you would like to join the Facebook group, that's facebook.com slash group slash what's good games. Do yeah, it. Just do it. Just um, do it so you will be cool like us. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That was good. <laughs> Thank you so much for that, Steimer. Um, speaking of... Speaking of Facebook groups, this week's episode is brought to you by Ripped Gamers. The thing with gaming is that we often spend a lot of time sitting around, and that can mean that we don't end up as fit and healthy as we'd like. I'm certainly feeling that with travel. Certainly gets hard to work out when you're on the road. But our friend Tim Ross over at Ripped Gamers was in the same boat himself and got sick of feeling in worse shape than every ripped RPG character he played. <laughs> so he decided to do something about it. Fast forward to today and he's lost over 40 pounds, got a college degree in exercise prescription and helped dozens of others start their own weight loss journeys. Tim is super passionate about gaming and he wants to help other gamers around the world get healthy and feel better about their bodies. He's created a home-based, zero-equipment-required fitness program and nutrition strategy designed specifically for video gamers. You can join the Ripped Gamers Facebook community for advice, support, or just to meet some fitness-minded gamers. Now, if you're really serious, he even offers one-on-one -on -one entirely online coaching. What's kind of crazy, though, is that everything over at Ripped Gamers is completely free. The program, the Facebook group, even the one-on-one -on -one coaching. Tim is just here to help you get fit. So if you want to kickstart your fitness journey and start working towards your goals, head on over to RippedGamers.com. That's R-I-P-P-E-D-G-A-M-E-R-S.com and download your free program and join the community. Everything you need to lose weight is right at your fingertips and is 100% free. I have been um, in and out of the Facebook group, and it's so awesome to see all of you WGGers um, joining and sharing your stories. So um, keep on it. Thank you, Tim, for supporting the show. Sorry if my voice is a little scratchy, you guys. I um, I was still recovering from GDC, and it just feels like it hasn't recovered. Because you haven't stopped talking because you were on a little radio show yesterday. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes, I was. So I had the amazing opportunity to go visit my friend Tatiana Carrier, who is the host of The Tea on Dash Radio, which also streams on Twitch every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific. And she gets amazing up and coming artists, established artists, uh, all kinds of musicians and vocalists that come on her show to perform. It's kind of like a pop culture variety show. She's hysterical and really fun to watch. And, uh, I went on and talked about Drake, uh, playing Fortnite and there was two musical performances from these two lovely artists. Um, so if you guys want to check that out, you can watch the archive at, um, twitch.tv slash the underscore T. T is in the letter T or T is in the drink. T is in the letter T. Thank you for that clarification. The T is her show and it's a uh, T unfiltered on Instagram. Uh, she posts uh, stories and stuff all the time there. If you guys want to check it out, it was really fun. I was down in LA and, uh, yes, I got we, to see some people. We, we hung out. Yeah. I got to yeah. see Steimer. It was lovely to hang out and we talk about how you didn't have friends when you were 11. Was that the tweet I saw? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't remember how we got to that point of the conversation. It was because of uh, Tara's daughter. Oh. Yeah. And we were talking right. about like how she's like, you know, really popular and stuff. And we were like, we were not that. Oh, no. We were not those kids. I was not that. <laughs> Everybody hated either. me. No. <laughs> I did have a couple friends, but like for the most part, I was always the girl like wanting to be the popular kid, but never actually being the popular kid. Oh, and I was I'm just always like, 
Okay, guys. Hey, I'm over here by myself. <laughs> I bought a book called How to Be Popular in the Sixth Grade when I was. Yes, you did? Grade. Oh, absolutely. Do you still have it? Uh, I don't know if I still have it, but I'm sure you can find it somewhere. And it was, I don't even remember the rules, but it was basically like, be a good human and you will be popular. I was like, that's, that's not true. That's not that's, how this works. That's not how that that's works. the opposite. All. You're supposed to be a terrible garbage human and then you're popular. <laughs> Okay, we'll have to do this for one of our secret segments <laughs> for Patreon, because I also thought you had to be a garbage human, because all of the popular kids, I'm going on, a, well, we can rein it back in in a second, sure, but all sure. the popular kids in middle school and elementary school, they would ignore you if you would ask them a question. Mm-hmm, so I specifically mm-hmm. remember this, and I was like, okay, to be popular, I had to ignore people. So the next time someone asked me a question, I ignored them. And it hurt so bad. I came home and I cried all night about it. And then I apologized profusely the next day because I'm oh not that person. God. Yeah, I know. That's Freaking funny. Kids. You're like, oh, no, I ignored someone. Oh, my I- life is in shambles. Terrible. And then I just realized they probably just ignore me because they're <laughs> dumb. But that's all. Anyway, video games. Yes. Yeah. Back. Um, so it's a little bit of a light news week this week, which is okay because we have a lot of video games to talk about that we've been playing, um, including our Life is Strange Before the Storm farewell episode spoiler cast and a special interview with Nicole Fawcett, the co-lead of the Women in Gaming program over at Xbox, who had the awesome opportunity to sit down with uh, during GDC. So that's going to come up later in the show. But for now, it's time. To talk about Sea of Thieves oh. and how they are, <laughs> I, I kind of feel like I should go get an eye, one of the, those eye patches. And the day on one right patch, now. yeah. Oh, those aren't physical; those are only in the game. But you oh, can kind of see my Sea of Thieves chest down there. Oh, the uh, the little <laughs> yeah, the little like collector's edition thing that you got. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I think we sent out some of that stuff in the swag boxes this month. I'm bringing the stuff that's inside that box up so that next month somebody can also have some things. Nice. Then I should make a note of who I'm sending it to. Yes, you should. <laughs> so they don't get double. <laughs> Keep notes. Um, all right. So see if these is Microsoft's fastest selling new IP of the Xbox One generation. The story was written up by Eurogamer. Rare's jolly old pirate game has become Microsoft's fastest selling new IP of the Xbox One generation and is already the best selling Microsoft Studios game on Windows 10. More than 1 million people played on launch day and more than 2 million in launch week. Now, there's a, there was a bit of confusion surrounding the wording on the Xbox Newswire where Sea of Thieves is labeled the fastest selling first party new IP of this generation, which suggests that Sea of Thieves holds the title across all platforms, which means that it outsold Sony's best-selling first-party new IP, Horizon Zero Dawn, which, of course, did incredibly well. Uh, but Microsoft exec Aaron Greenberg used different wording to announce the news on Twitter. He called Sea of Thieves, quote, our most successful IP of this generation, suggesting the claim relates only to Microsoft games. Now, that would make more sense. Yeah, right. I'm not sure that they quite know exactly how fast. When they say the fastest-selling first-party new IP, that to me, I'm like, yeah, that made the... They mean their first party. Right. Mm-hmm. Not exactly all first party. Um, so this is like, this isn't surprising, particularly with the introduction of first party games with Xbox Game Pass. I'm sure Sea of Thieves got a giant boost of players because of the access through Game Pass. I would actually do love they to count know that the though? Like, actually, yeah, I think I read that Game Pass sales were not counted. <laughs> I just noticed what you were wearing. <laughs> it's my eye patch. <laughs> Um, it's a really good hacked together. Oh my I god, you guys! So for You're everybody amazing. listening, Brittany is wearing these really adorable pink gunners 
gunner glasses and she's put what looks like either a piece of tape or it's a piece cloth. of black napkin it's, no it's, it's like the that? cleaning cloth cleaning cloth yeah oh okay like a little microfiber cloth yep yeah. you got it girl it's my okay, day one so patch. I'm getting a character. But I did read. Patch. I did read. I think it was on Destructoid that Game Pass sales were not counted. That's a pretty yeah, because big I, would, I wouldn't count that as a sale because it's not a sale of that game. It'd be hard yeah, to differentiate. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so congrats. What are the congrats, other first rare? party games that Quantum Break that came out? I'm blanking yep. here. Well, you mean we've, UIP? Had, <clears throat> yeah. we've had uh, Halo 4. Halo, well, right? No, not the new. new IP. Was that Xbox One? Oh, that wasn't new IP. Good call. Yeah. Um, what else was new IP? Qu- Quantum Break, Recore, okay. Recore did not do Recore. Well. Yeah, yeah Recore Quantum was... Break, Recore, and there's one other main one that. So I mean, basically, this news isn't that surprising. I feel like Sea of Thieves is alluring because it's something new, it's something different. It's been pimped for a while, so it's like, of course, it's going to do really well. Every time we played it, we gushed about how much fun we had, and then we got griefed immensely, and then we're like, yeah. oh well. So this is great. Also, I thought it was interesting because we were talking about this last week that there was mention in their official on their website. They have a new section and this was posted on March 25th. Um, and that's just see a thieves.com. Here's a paragraph date talking about the new patch that I think just went live today or it's going live soon. The under key issues affecting players below internally, we are tracking sentiment and the top feedback issues on the game experience itself. And we are very aware of the topic of persistent player griefing repeatedly being attacked by the same ships or players. We are discussing what short term fixes we can make and what slightly more involved fixes we will prioritize. We will share an update on this and the other top feedback points and our thoughts on them later this week. So yeah, that's good. And I think um, related to that even, is so they also had a news story out today or not today this week <laughs> um talking about like they were going to implement a death penalty of like a gold fee basically when you die mm-hmm. and it was going to be related to like the different type like ways you could die so theoretically if you had a quote unquote stupider death or like more <laughs> avoidable death you would be charged more versus if it was something a little bit less avoidable That's fair. um <laughs> But everybody was like up in arms about it. Nobody liked this idea. So they actually killed the feature before it even made it into the game. Mm-hmm. So I do think that they are um, really trying to listen to their community and get and have feedback changes implemented as quickly as possible. So I'm glad that they're they're listening. Um, another thing, because of we talked so much about it last week, and I kind of read this other thing on see if i've been reading a lot of see if these things <laughs> not playing it but reading about it uh and it was talking about how the brig was intended to be a holding cell for toxic players on your an team. anti-toxicity measure i read that same article and i was like how did you think that that was going to work right yeah that's why i was confused too like I, the one thing that they had that made sense was uh there's I forget what they're called. Scuttle ships. So like to try and get you away from ships who are constantly attacking you. But the brig still doesn't make any sense to me because I don't know what someone on your team could possibly be doing to you that much. Like maybe they're annoying on chat, but I would assume you could just mute them. Unless uh, they're like taking like the treasure and throwing it overboard. That would be douchey. Yeah, but you could go get it. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, like, I guess it's just. I would lock I, your ass in there, Simon, if you were throwing no, our chest overboard. I mean, you would just lock me in there in general. You I would. threw me and into I'd, the middle of the ocean. When we and I'd like it. I'd like it a lot. Also, it's really hard looking out of one eye. This is very Yeah, I know. I was, like, I was actually really impressed with how, how long you've been sticking with this eye patch. <laughs> Thanks. I'm dedicated. 
Uh, no, but I think it's great. I'm excited to see where they take it. Obviously, they're listening to fan feedback, which is crucial. There's been a lot of uh, polarized opinions on the game and the launch in its current state. So can only do better from here, right? My optimistic yeah. friends. Right. Cheers. I'm going to talk a little bit about my time playing Sea of Thieves because last week we got some feedback from people listening to the show saying, you know, it wasn't fair of us to judge the game without having played the game, you know, when Khalif was here talking about Sea of Thieves. So I played a bit of it over the weekend and um, I will go over my thoughts. You played <laughs> without me? I played alone. Yeah, I played solo. What? I did a couple matches with my friend um, Billy Shibley because he just happened to be online when I was online. But yeah, I was. Um, I I took a solo ship and everything. I wanted to experience what it was like <laughs> on the high seas, <laughs> uh, trying to fend for myself. Um, so we will discuss that in the girl. Next you segment. know, I can't drive a ship without you. <laughs> no, and like after playing with a, a, him and, a, and one of his other friends, I got like. I, I realize my patience for people who don't contribute when you're on the the galleon like is real low because <laughs> it's a lot of work to steer the ship and make sure you're going in the right direction and to like ra- raise and lower the sails and drop the anchor and raise at the right time when you're like stopping at an island and like what it ended up in was like if I wasn't always manning the wheel that they clearly just did not know how to steer the ship at all. And I know that there's a learning curve, but we kept having to patch and bail water, patch the boat, bail water. And I'm like, and then I had to like tell them, Hey, you have to come down here and help me with your bucket. You can't just like dick around at the top. They can't bail in all this water by myself. I definitely crashed this. I crashed this into a giant rock. Like I saw it there. I just couldn't seem to stop what was happening. I was like, oh no, I'm turning. It's not, it's not, uh, nope, we're just going to crash this rock. <laughs> like, yeah. Andrea, you're in charge of driving from now on. I'll do the other things. I do like driving. Um, so, uh, anyway, I don't want to get too, too far down that rabbit hole now. We'll talk more about it, uh, in the next segment. Uh, next story. Thank God. Star Wars is getting an open world project? Question mark. EA is hiring for a new project up in Vancouver. And this write-up comes from Alex Osborne over at IGN. If a recent job listing is any indication, Electronic Arts Vancouver Studios is working on an open-world Star Wars game. The listing was discovered by GameSpot on EA Vancouver's careers page and is, lead, and is for a lead online engineer who will, quote, lead a team to deliver online features for a Star Wars open-world project, end quote. While the job post doesn't provide much in terms of specifics about the project itself, we do know EA Vancouver is currently at work on what initially started as the Amy Hennig directed Star Wars project at Visceral Games. The game is being developed across EA's worldwide studios with its Vancouver studio heading up production. Last year, of course, EA announced the Visceral project is being reshaped from a linear title to be a broader experience that allows for more variety in player agency, leaning into the capabilities of our Frostbite engine, and reimagining central elements of the game to give players a Star Wars adventure of greater depth and breadth to explore. Um... Of course, according to EA, the decision to shut down Visceral and refocus the project wasn't because it was a single-player single, single player game, with EA VP Patrick Soderlund reaffirming this past October that the story-driven single-player games are still part of the publisher's future. Well, so where this are is they? Yeah, right? <laughs> Who's well, working on them? Uh, I'm kind of sad question. they didn't call it open universe game. They kind of like open world. It's like, ah, well, it's Star Wars. It should be called open universe. Oh, my no, God. Just, You're I'm, such a dad. <laughs> 
I appreciate Maybe they that, will Samer. eventually, Brit, in like the marketing materials when it's actually officially announced. But um, calling it here. It, but like, if you think about it, like, you know, as far as keywords go, you, open world is like a pretty universal gaming term. Open it's, universe uh, would break the goddamn internet. Kim Kardashian has nothing on that. Well, Never. technically, Mass Effect is like an open universe game then, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's why they need to hire me to do their marketing for them. But <laughs> okay. we, were, we were talking about this last week, and that's the kind of Star Wars game I want. I haven't played Battlefront 2. I mean, I was going to, and then I know it's a short experience. I could probably knock it out in one sitting. But hearing you ladies and Alexa talk about it, it just didn't turn my crank, didn't flip my switch, didn't flip my boat. So I want something story-driven, something open universe. And this this will be my game. Probably won't get it for 20 years. And it'll probably die five times before then. But that's fine. Aww. I'll remain optimistic. Pobrecito. I don't, I don't think it'll, it'll take that long, but, um, you know, <laughs> this makes sense. Open world games lend themselves to bigger, more robust experiences, but they, of course they also take longer to make. I don't know. I think I'm just kind of like fatigued at hearing EA talk about Star Wars because they keep kind of being cagey about what's happening. I don't even know. Well, I mean, when do you think we're going to get an update about Respawn's game? Do you think E3 is too soon? I think so. I think it's a little soon, but I think that they also announced a game with like a two second <coughs> trailer of a ATAT foot stomping down. So they can still have something where it's just like, remember, we're working on this. <laughs> like, I think it's going to be that. It's like, it won't be anything substantial, but I do think that they'll talk about it and, or not talk about it, but be like, ding. Just a reminder. We do still have something coming eventually. Aren't they also working on an, yeah, an Oculus super, super secret VR game? So maybe we'll see something from that too. Maybe not. Remember that? No, I don't remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I, do rem- I do remember that announcement. They're working yeah. on a VR first person shooter. Yep. It was announced. But they didn't, oh boy. Yeah, but they didn't announce any details about mm-hmm. what, if that's an existing IP or if it's a new IP. Right. They were just like, we're making shooters in VR. And I was like, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about that back in the day. Double thumbs up. <laughs> um. All right. Next uh, story. This one was added by Steimer. Steimer, do you want to read? I this added. Story? No, I added like a bunch of them. Anything okay. that's just a link, I added just because I was like, we need something to talk about. <laughs> I mean, you I guys, added the Pokemon. Stop the presses! The original Punch Out is coming to <laughs> Nintendo Switch. Punch out. That's all that's, we have to say. That's, 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 it. The, that's, story. that's it. That's the story. <laughs> it's coming. You will see it coming one day. Do we know? Do we know when this is coming? Any, yeah, any according to a report from Impress Game Watch, the archi- arcade archives Punch Out will hit the Switch in Japan on March thirtieth. Oh. A North American release has not been announced. Oops, sorry. We've I reached out really to Nintendo for more details. Says Polygon. <laughs> Uh, the Switch version will include multiple display options to account for the arcade game's dual monitor display. The arcade version of Punch-Out! used a pair of TV monitors stacked, TV monitors stacked vertically. Nintendo had a surplus of displays which led to the game's design, but the arcade archives version will let players arrange both screens horizontally or vertically. That's it. It's not really, it's not a big story, obviously, especially because it's just in Japan, but I was like, hey, OG, Punch-Out! That's cool. I never played that, so I have no feelings about this whatsoever. You never played Punch-Out? No. Never. Well, if it comes to North America, you can play it on your Switch. Okay. 
You will. You play all sorts of weird games on your Switch. Why are you? Why are you poo pooing Punch Out? Poo pooing? Did you say you're poo pooing it? Poo-pooing. No, I'm not. I just don't have any desire to play Punch Out. That's fine. It's all good. I'll play it if you want me to, Stammer. I'll play it for you. I'll wear some lingerie and come over and we can light some candles and have some oh. wine. And I don't even like wine, but I'll drink it for I you. I mean, this is an offer I cannot refuse. <laughs> you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right, Nintendo, you know what to do. <laughs> Bring it to North America. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right. Moving on. Pokemon Go's daily quests sound like what the game needs. So there was some multiple Pokemon Go news this week. Uh, Mew, of course, announced for Pokemon Go the first legendary. No, that's not right. Mythical. Right. Mythical. That's right. Okay. Thanks, Britt. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> according to Polygon, Pokemon Go's next version update is a huge one, and Niantic wants to make sure everyone knows it. The developer published a lengthy post that further explains how the new Daily Quest, a.k.a. research feature, will work when it goes live on March 30th. The details suggest it's actually game-changing and for the better. Quote, throughout our design process, we focused on the idea that research tasks could accommodate nearly any exploration style from players who often prefer to go on adventures alone to groups containing dozens of trainers and would range in difficulty to provide a challenge for even experienced trainers, the development team wrote. As a result, you'll notice many of these tasks focus on skill and execution rather than depending on random chance. An example of what that looks like is a daily field research challenge requiring players to toss a consecutive trio of Pokeballs using what the game calls great throws. Now, if you're the kind of Pokemon Go player who use, who just swipes the screen during a battle, that's me, and doesn't oh. think about it twice about it. This will test you to actually pay attention to how you fight a Pokemon. Players who think they know it all can also prove how good they are at the game and get rewarded for it. I'm playing Pokemon Go. You are? Oh, you're just being... <laughs> Got me all excited. Wagging. God damn no. it, Samer. She's yeah. not actually playing Pokemon Go, ladies and gentlemen. I was just swiping my finger. Got me all hot and bothered for a second. I was second. making a mobile joke. That's fine. So, I mean... Do you want to read more of the story, or should we just get into my my hot? No, take on we this? don't. I mean, the the story can. If you guys want to, you know, po- you can read the story over on Polygon. They just basically talk about more about the research tasks and story based content. Light as it may be, makes the game more enticing to players who are still playing, or maybe even to people like me who put it down months and months ago. Maybe oh, maybe I'll go check out the new stuff. I don't know, but break your thoughts as our expert. Oh, expert. No pressure. So there are a few things I want from Pokemon Go that I've talked about. The first one, everyone's been asking. We want the ability to fight each other. That's the thing that we'd love to do, but instead they keep giving us other things. Now, in this case, field research, special research, not bad. I think a lot of people will enjoy this content. The other thing I want is more diverse Pokemon like around my neighborhood because I used to go walk around and, and catch my eggs and catch Pidgeys and all of the plebe Pokemon, but... That burns out real quick. If I knew I could walk around my block and get new Pokemon every time, I'd be playing that song bitch every day, probably spending another $800. However, can you, do they still not, or do they have trading? I don't remember. Do they add trading? Uh, Last time I played, there was no trading. And I think if there was trading, it would be a really big freaking deal. Right now, you can just basically sell your poor Pokemon for Pokemon candy and then use that to evolve. It's been over a year since I've played. So. But it's been a long time. So what this adds essentially is the field research, which think of them as daily. So maybe if you have to catch a certain type of Pokemon, you get these, I understand, by swiping the Pokestops. And it'll be like, hey, you can do this, do that. And you'll get things like rare candy. 
um, and other prizes. And then once you do that, you'll get a stamp. And if you do this seven times, you'll get, it's called, um, a research breakthrough prize, which will give you better items and possibly the chance to encounter a legendary Pokemon. Now, the reason this is big is because right now the only way you can encounter a legendary is out, is within a raid battle. And if you live in an area where people just aren't playing Pokemon Go anymore, you have slim to no chance of catching a, a legendary Pokemon. So the fact that you can like 1v1 those bastards is like important and great. And then there's the special research, special research, which is your story driven activities. So Professor Willow comes back and it's like eight stages. And if you complete these things, then you can catch a mythical Pokemon. In this case, it's Mew. So I mean, it's going to help player engagement and I'm definitely going to check it out. But I mean, I mean, people are really excited about it. I'm not trying to crap on anyone's parade here, but I just want better Pokemon and battles and trading. Do the legendary 1v1s, are they scaled for 1v1 that I would hope? They're not like... Yeah, I would assume they would be. I mean, otherwise that kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, here's this really strong Pokemon you'll never catch, but you can look at it. (laughs) You can look at it. That's all of my Look at it there taunting you. Yeah. So that's the Pokemon Go shenanigans. They're still supporting it. People are still playing it. Good for them. I'll try it out. Hopefully I won't get sucked back in. I got to pay my mortgage. Or maybe you will. Uh-oh. Go down the ramen. Pokemon rabbit hole. Ramen Pokemon for hole. weeks. Ramen for days. We'll see. I mean, cool. Ramen's pretty good. Cool. Now I want to go get ramen. Ooh, yeah. I was talking like top ramen. You know when you're so oh, poor. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, no. When no. you're like a broke college Andrew kid. Andrew and I did that once at night. We did. It was, it was, um, it was not bad. I forgot, you know, about top ramen because it's been so long since I... Um, wanted or bought any, but I was at the store and I had this weird salty craving. And I was like, Ooh, mm, some chicken flavored top ramen sounds choice right now. But like when you have like real ramen from like a Japanese ramen house, mm-hmm. it just does not, it does not compare like at no. all. No, it's like different. Back, back when I was a child, I used to love chicken top ramen and then I would get half a can of chicken broth and then a slice of freaking craft cheese. And stick it on there and pour some spices in there and stir that bad boy up and watch uh, Rush Hour. Rush Hour Jackie wait, Chan. That was like my wait, tradition. I'm sorry. The cheese is like the weirdest fucking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I know. Wait, you put cheese in the top in the top ramen? Yeah. I you know. It was like I and had the munchies, broth. but I wasn't high. Yeah, it was weird. I don't know. Everything sounded good. I mean, I was on board for the extra chicken broth, but like, <laughs> no, no, I, I you lost cheese. me at the craft the, single. The cheese added a, a cream to it. I, I don't know. I, hey. Oh, God damn. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kind of great. like weirdly intrigued now. I'm like, hmm. No, no, no. I'll, get, I'll get you maybe real drunk. Some, maybe I need to try this sometime. <laughs> I'll get you real drunk and we'll try it. My palate we'll wasn't watch, very we'll sophisticated. Watch hour. <laughs> my, my palate wasn't very sophisticated back then. So I was easy to please. But we'll see. You guys do that. I'll have some Easy Mac. Oh, oh easy I love Mac. Easy Mac. Uh, why are we talking about food? I'm so. I don't know because we always do. <laughs> we always what do. happens? Okay, you guys. So, um, like I mentioned, it's a light <laughs> news week. What are the odds of something big breaking before the show posts? Hundred percent. Like it, it does every week. Yeah, 
Um, but, um, and we're recording the show even earlier next week because we gotta fly to Boston. Um, but for now, what we're going to do is we're going to take a short break. Uh, I'm gonna go get some tea or something so I stop coughing in the microphone. I apologize, everybody who's listening. And when we come back, we have, uh, Sea of Thieves to talk about. We've got lots to say about Far Cry 5. That game just came out this week. Plus, maybe a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit of something else. What is it gonna be? We'll be right back. Oh, that tease. Welcome back, everybody. This is the second segment of the What's Your Game podcast. Uh, someday, you guys, I might show you what happens during the breaks of this show. Not this last one. Some yeah. of the conversation is highly inappropriate. <laughs> it's always great because Andrea typically will go get like a drink or something. So Simon and I just deep dive down these rabbit holes of nastiness. So Andrea just places the headset on and she hears some very vulgar, strange things. That's yes. true. It's great. Yeah, it happens. Um, speaking of vulgar, strange things, Far Cry 5, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> great segue. It yes. is a video game that came out last week. Um, we'd seen this game a this couple week. of times before it was a, a launched. And um, I've been playing quite a bit of this game. So I'm about a third of the way through the story, I believe. Um, because I was out of the town these last couple of days, I, I've kind of slid back in my progress. But um, I gave some of my initial impressions on Kind of Funny Games Daily. And um, if you guys watched it there... You know, my, um, so far, really liking it. Have a couple issues, but overall, super fun. Uh, Steimer, what do you think about Far Cry? Agreed. So, my first order of business was picking up all of the animals. (laughs) So, I have three new best friends named (laughs) Boomer, Peaches, and Cheeseburger. (laughs) I could not be happier. Like, 10 out of 10 game for me. You give me these animals, I will love you forever. Yeah, the animals are fun. Um, I am a little disappointed because I think, I don't want to say Boomer's completely useless because he's not, you know, it's he's nice a good that he'll, boy. he'll like, that he'll auto tag all the enemies. So that's like Boomer's special, uh, thing. So in the guns for hiring mechanic in Far Cry 5, it works differently than in Far Cry 4. It's a lot more robust. So each of these specialists, has a special and boomer the dog his special is that he will tag all of the enemies um in the surrounding area and he can also bring weapons to you which i find a little useless because i have now customized the guns and i have found guns that i like so i don't really want him to bring me some random enemies gun but he's cute so he's got that going for him cute i just hate hearing him whimper and cry when he gets hurt that's the part with boomer that i i love boomer he's adorable because i'm played with jason primarily i only get one gun for hire and so i was like oh it's so cute to run through montana me and my husband and this really cute dog and then you get in fights and you hear the whimpering and the sounds he makes and i'm just like oh i'm like Reb, come up and hang out with me because it just makes me feel sad it, i, know, I will yeah. say oh go ahead no i say i know you just give him a belly rub and he's like all right life is good like any dog but still it's a little too much I did only roll with Boomer for a short period, and then I went and got Peaches and was like, 
fuck yeah, Puma. I'm about this life. Cougar. I would love to have a mountain cat with me at all times, just like chilling with a <laughs> collar on. Um, and then I was like, wait, there's a bear in this game and his name is Cheeseburger. Let me go get the, like, so I've just been jumping around the map. I haven't been, um, super following any, any of the story or anything. I literally was just like, I'm going to do these things now. Cause I feel like that. Um, so then I just got the bear Cheeseburger mm. and I'm like imagining real life rolling up to a camp of people with this bear by my side and just how fucking cool that would be. <laughs> yeah, but that's one of the beauties of, of, of Far Cry, right? So the way that they've designed the narrative in this game is that the map is accessible to you. All of the map is accessible to you from the very beginning of the game. And it's up to you to kind of decide which of the three regions you want to take on. So, of course, Joseph Seed is the father, is like the ultra villain in Far Cry, a series known for these really psychotic, over-the-top villains. He's got three lackeys, um, Faith, John, and Jacob. Jacob, I believe. Yeah, I think that's right. I was like, I, I think it's Jacob. I think it's John, <laughs> Jacob, Jingleheimer, Schmidt. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> so I did the opposite of what Steimer did. I focused all of my attention on John Seed's region. So I that's started I there did. and I built all of my reputation up until I was able to like have like a, a face off with him. Um, and it was interesting because, you know, it felt like the progress was, um, you know, felt meaningful. One of the things I really like about the way that they've changed the outposts in Far Cry 5 is that they all feel like they have a little bit more personality. I feel like in previous Far Cries, going and liberating the outposts felt a little bit uh, formulaic. Felt like they were car- kind of carbon copies of themselves. And so you would do one and then another. And the only thing that really differentiated them was maybe like the aesthetic um, as far as like where the buildings were, but they didn't have like a lot of personality. And I like that. It feels like in Hope County, each of the individual things that you liberate is like tied to a person with a story or tied to a group with a story. And I really like how they've woven that into the narrative. Um, of course, the open world gameplay, the sandbox aspect of it, super fun. The guns have always been a great part of Skyrim. 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 <laughs> I don't know why I said Skyrim. Oh, baby girl. Um, uh, have been what a sort great of part tea of are you Cry. drinking? Are you drinking bliss oil? I'm literally drinking, <laughs> literally <laughs> drinking, uh, green tea. No, I could do with some bliss right now. That could be yeah. fun. No, so bliss is, so, uh, so neither of you have been to Faith's part yet. I no. have done maybe a dozen quests in Faith's area, but I, I almost 100%ed John's area. So I, I built up all of my reputation. And then I proceeded to uncover every location, do all the silos, deliberate all the outposts, do everything else that there was to do. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I obviously did other things along the way while I was getting the animals. Like that's not all I've done. Yeah. I've done, my, I've done other things. But that was kind of my trajectory. It was like, all right, I want to get this one. I want to get this one. Uh, and then I kind of did anything that tickled my fancy along the way. So I've done – I have like one – level of reputation in faiths and like one level of reputation in jacobs although i think i can't remember so i'm not gonna say it it's fine um the only thing that semi bugged me about the way that they're doing the storytelling at least in the initial parts of each county is 
it kind of shanghai's you it's kind oh, of yeah. just like <laughs> like you're i was in the middle of like oh i'm going to do this thing nope i'm not like i am now in a cut scene yeah and uh like and now on some other side of the map like sometimes and you're, you're just like oh shit Okay. Yeah, so this is one of this is one of my gripes too. So I was playing uh, some co-op with Brandon Jones from Easy Allies, helping him do some co-op stuff before his review went live. And we he was playing inside my game because he had like almost completed the game, and so I didn't want to like run into any spoilers. And so we were in doing some early level missions, and I had already unlocked this really cool truck that had like a like a machine gun on the back of it because the nice. customizations in Far Cry 5 are awesome. It feels super personalized in a way that you can, you know, really pick vehicles that speak to you. You can get customizations and skins for your guns and really like kit them out. I love that aspect of what they've done with customization. However, the spawning system for that customization stuff is really frustrating. So we went into um we were doing the Testy Festy mission, yes. which everybody's, of course, talking about. And in the final section of that mission, um, you go into like this weird kind of cutscene sequence. And then after it, we got kicked out of the cutscene and the vehicle was gone. And I was like, wait a minute. Now I have to like either walk to find another vehicle or we have to fast travel back to the vehicle station and then I need to respawn another one. That to me is going to get annoying like super quick. Same with guns. Some of my guns, you know, you go into missions and you don't take your guns with you. Then you come back out and you're like, wait a minute, but I just, I had the, I had the thing and now I have to go. Ugh. And now I don't that have to me the is thing. frustrating about, about it. I don't know why that they don't let you pull up. I don't know why I have to go to a shop in order to pull up the things that I've already bought. I wish that they, they were accessible and spawnable just from within the menu. That would be nice. There's also some... So, let me backtrack. So, I have never finished a Far Cry before. I've only briefly dabbled in the Far Cry titles. And what I was really excited about and what attracted me to Far Cry 5 is, obviously, a, the co-op. And second is this this story that supposedly surrounds, like, this creepy-ass cult. Um, the co-op, I feel like it's really fun to play with other people. It's Andrew, you and I did this during the um, preview event, and we had a blast. I just, I, at least I had a good time with you. And, I had fun. <laughs> even when I crashed the plane. Did you have a good time? Yep. Still love you. Thanks, baby girl. Uh, and I'm having a really great time. So how I'm playing it is I'm inviting Jason to my game, and so he's not playing the game technically on his own at all. Now, the problems we're running into with this is when you defeat – I think they're called, are they called lieutenants technically? Um, in this case, John Seed, you unlock the ability to purchase a third tier health upgrade. Um, but Jason's not, he's unable to purchase that health upgrade because he has not finished you know, that story tier. progression and co-op. Right. Yeah. That's an issue. He's not able to unlock certain weapons and customize them to a certain point because obviously it's story progression locked. So that's a little irritating and he can't interact with certain NPCs, which is no problem because I always handle the story when we play because he doesn't care about story, but I'm having a really good time with that. Um, The story of Far Cry five, I feel like the opening cutscene was really jarring. I'm like, Oh, this shit's intense. Oh my God. Uh, But I feel like the minute you leave a cutscene, it just feels like a regular old, Far Cry game is the sense I'm getting. And then every time you step back into a cutscene, it's like, oh my god, this is so intense. Um, during the <laughs> fight with John Seed, 
Jason had to get up and go to the bathroom or do something. And it was like right in the middle of it. I remember it was so intense that I just finished the mission without him because I couldn't wait because I was so like caught up in the moment. But when we're just playing casually in the open world, it doesn't it, it kind of loses that um, intensity, that the that urgency. Yeah. And so I've never played a Far Cry game before. Is this typical or is this a Far Cry 5 thing or what? So Far Cry has always struggled with having these really crazy narratives surrounding their villains and then also wanting to mix in the like crazy, wacky open world aspect of the game along with these elements of comedy. And that's always been like quintessential Far Cry. I feel the reason why it feels so out of place in this narrative is because this narrative is so close to what could potentially be actually happening in the real world. Mm -hmm. And not to say that like previous Far Cries haven't happened in the real world. There's a lot of evil people out in the world today, but particularly because it's in America and we as Americans can identify with it a lot closer than we could have with previous Far Cry villains. It just feels like the, the thread, the through thread isn't there. And I was talking about this on, on Games Daily about how I have so much fun out in the world of Far Cry, blowing up silos, you know, playing some of the mini games, going fishing, doing all the things that make Far Cry Far Cry. But then you get to these really heavy, serious narrative moments within the main story campaign. And it just like, I feel like, it's so out of place in a jarring way. And it's out of place because I feel like the connection just isn't quite there. I do like how the NPCs feel like they have more of a place in the overall world and have more of a connection than some of the previous NPCs in Far Cry I have. But I kind of like, I'm struggling with how I wanted it to be a little bit darker and grittier, but they still kept all of the levity and the, the, the fun and the wackiness of Far Cry in. And I'm not like, I'm trying to decide if I if it bothers me or not. It's definitely noticeable, though. Yeah. I think the reason that it feels... And granted, it's been a while since I played Far Cry 4. Um, so I might be... Maybe I'm just misremembering. But the thing that I think throws me off about the cutscenes is mostly just the fact that I'm not triggering them. Like, I'm not able to, like, be like, I'm going on this mission and I know that this is a story mission and, like something's gonna happen mm -hmm. one of the one of these cutscenes literally triggered i was talking to an npc and then the next thing i knew i was in a cutscene that was not related to like the, i was in a, i was talking to an npc about where to get cheeseburger and then i was in a cutscene about uh john seed maybe one of the, john or jacob i don't remember which jingleheimer schmidt <laughs> and uh and i was just like wait what like i was just it threw me off that happened to me because yeah. i wasn't i wasn't expecting it and and it kind of just like it, it threw me off base at the moment. And this and a similar thing happened when I went into Faith's territory. Mm -hmm. And I was well, I don't remember what I was doing, but I was like, okay, I think I'm gonna go over to this place. Oh, I'm in a oh in a pet scene. Is yeah. this real? And it threw me. I kind of was like, I, I did you have this moment at all, Brittany, where you're like, is this real? Yeah. Or is this like what is happening? Yeah. And I think that if I think all they really had to do was like give it specific trigger points where you as a player are specifically walking and you're like, you know, something's going to happen. And it would have felt a little more cohesive 
versus randomly just throwing it at you. Yeah, it's interesting because there are story missions and side missions, but the story missions, my understanding, the majority of them is just to build up your resistance. And then once you do that, you can do whatever ones you want for the most part. But once you do that, then those cutscenes trigger. And so that happened to me too, Simon. I was, Jason and I were scoping out um, an outpost and we were about to go buy a new sniper rifle for him. He wanted to get one. And on the way there, we were hit by a bliss bullet. And then next thing we knew, we were in a cutscene. And and I was trying to think about it. I'm like, this is weird because we're so accustomed to games saying like, okay, you come to this little triangle on the map, this little diamond, and then the story is going to progress. But this yep. one is like the story is going to progress whenever you trigger this event. You know, you yep. might not know when you're going to do it, but you're going to do it. And so I was thinking about it and I was like, do I like this or do I dislike this? And I, I can't really say either way because it's not like completing that um cutscene hinders your ability to play in that region anymore or anything like that. So it's not like it takes anything away from you. So I was like, okay, I mean, if I'm in Montana and there's a cult out to get me, I guess this is kind of realistic. You might just be trekking through Montana and you might get hit and then there you go. I'm still not sure how I feel about it. I don't know if I like it or dislike it. The only thing, so with the cheeseburger thing, like that particular, this doesn't happen every time and I'm not saying what's happening, but I ended up in a different part of the map. It was still the same region, but a different, like, I was really far from where I needed to be to get to get my cheeseburger. So I, I mean, granted, it turned out to be, it was fine because I could fast travel to those places. So I just fast traveled back to where I was. Um, but I was still kind of like, oh man, like now I'm all the way over here. And I didn't even like want to do this part yet. Like I wanted, I wanted to do it on my terms. I think, mm-hmm. I think that's what's throwing me off about it is I'm used to, especially with open world games, I'm used to dictating when I get the story bits and this game doesn't really do that. Um, and yeah, and in some ways it's, it's an interesting choice because you're, like you said, yeah, if like a, if a cult's kind of after you, like they're going to be after you. But at <clears throat> the other hand, I'm like, this is a video game and I'm used to it working a certain way. Mm-hmm. There's a lot yeah, of trees in Montana. Yeah. <laughs> how are you? How do you feel about those trees, Britt? <laughs> There's a-, a lot of trees. Uh, you know, it's the game is beautiful. I'm playing on PS4 Pro, and I would kind of like an exploration mode where I can just wander around and look around, kind of like how Assassin's Creed Origins has, because it's so pretty. And there, it, so granted, I've only 100%ed one region. Now I'm on Faith's region, and I have seen a few different things that are a little interesting. Like I'm finding campsites and the rivers. And there's a bunch of other stuff going on, uh, but there are a lot of trees. And I think if it wasn't for co-op, I probably would not be super interested in exploring because it's. You know, I look out my my window here, and I'm like, oh, hey, that's my everyday scenery. But anyway, yeah. All so I agree that the the aesthetic of the game, while excellently executed, is very samey, and that's something that previous Far Cries haven't really had. I think huh. the color palette of Montana is just such a stark difference from some of these more exotic locations that the franchise has gone to. And so that's definitely an adjustment. The overall look and feel of of the art style has a specific quality that we haven't seen in a Far Cry game either. And I like it. It's different, but it does um it does get a little a little samey. Um I haven't played enough of the game for it to feel boring. Um but I had to imagine by like hour 25 or 30, I'm going to be like, okay, there's a lot of, a lot of trees and rivers <laughs> and stuff. But 
it's just one of those things like part of the success of a, of a, a really massive open world game is the really kind of distinct areas within the open world. And because this game doesn't have that, uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about it. Like Steimer, as somebody who's gone to all of the different regions, do they have anything that sets them apart other than just like the, the boundaries on the map? So I've only been to two different ones, but the face region is much, well, not much different, but it's definitely different than Jake, John, John Jacobs. <laughs> I'm just going to call him John Jacobs. Uh, and hers, uh, so each has like their own shtick and Faith's shtick is like, essentially you can kind of think of it like uh, in the Wizard of Oz, poppies will put them to sleep, like that kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, so you do see this particular flower around a lot and like there's, uh, a different ambiance. There's slightly different enemies there because of said thing. I'm trying to keep this as vague as possible because I don't want to super ruin it. But, um, so that's been something that I noticed that was different, <laughs> but in terms of landscape, I will say, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's still, still in Montana. So <laughs> still... Still a lot of trees. Lot. I think there are more uh, waterways in Faith's region than there were in John Jacobs. Because <laughs> I don't remember which one he was. Um, but I was just about to actually go down to the other, other, the other John Jacobs region uh, next for this one particular mission. But I haven't gone there yet, so I'm not. If sure. If you have all three animals, I believe you've been to all three regions. No, because Boomer's the very beginning. Boomer's uh, in John's Peaches. region. Yeah. So is Cheeseburger. And Wait, no, cheeseburger is um, not in John's region. I've, I've no. completed John's region uh, and I don't have cheeseburger. And then I guess I have been to all three and that should tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That says it right there, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Had no idea. So um, as far as like complaints go, it's pretty, it's a pretty minor gripe. Um, you know, th- like that it's, it, it feels very identical wherever you go. But I mean, for some people that might be, that might be an issue. I'm having a lot of fun with the game, but I'm worried that I'm not going to finish it because I'm having difficulty with some of the majors, the way that the major story fight or story missions play out. So I did one of the three boss fights, boss fights. I'm using Mm -hmm. fight in air quotes here. And I was really disappointed with how they laid out the interaction the gameplay mechanic aspect when you're taking on like this big bad, because all four of these major pillar characters, the seeds are really like terrible nightmare people, right? Like they're really evil each in their own way. And I had expected it to be like a fight. You know, you're getting these perk points, which by the way, I do love the way that they change Mm. the perk system and you get to, you're getting more powerful. You're getting cooler guns. You're really, you know, kind of honing your skills, from an FPS perspective. And then you get to these really like, um, pillar story moments. And I felt like it fell a little flat from a, from a fight perspective. I was like, this feels like it should be more meaningful than it actually was. I remember like taking down one person and thinking, wait, that was it. Like they're propped up as this really terrible, evil person. And I was looking forward to like a really well-designed, interaction for this boss fight and it felt like it was pretty disappointing Britt, did you feel that way i did because i know i think i know you're talking about and i played with jason like i said and 
this thing had just happened and we just got our boots on the ground. We're just getting ready to take this guy out. And I turned around and Jason sniped this guy in the head. And that was it. That was like the fight. And I was like, oh, I'm like, did you take him out? He's like, yeah, I sniped him in the head. I'm like, all right. And then Jason, being the troll that he is, proceeded to carry this character around for like five minutes. And I was oh like, gosh. I'm like, well, you know, I, you, you can do that. It allows you to do that. But it didn't feel very, very meaningful. And as the story is unraveling, and I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm disappointed that there is a a reason why everyone is acting the way they are. It's not because they're truly crazy cult members. It's because there's something else. You know what I'm saying? And I would have preferred that they went down that dark that Ubisoft went down that dark hole and tried they to would do have the committed story. to it right yeah yeah I would have committed to this cult because people there are cults out there obviously and they're fucking crazy and I would have loved to have seen something like that in this game that's kind of what I was expecting the way it was marketed and remember when we talked about it on the show we were like holy shit like kudos this is not easy to take on but you're doing it but I feel like it doesn't have the impact that I was looking for yeah, I feel I like have they no walked- idea what you're talking about because I have not done this much story at all. So I'm just like whoosh over my head. Good. I didn't yeah, spoil it. I just feel like they've walked up to the line and they didn't cross it when they should have crossed it. I was They're really close. hoping for them to to like make a have a point of view for not for you know lack of a better phrase mm-hmm. and they didn't. They kept it like this fun open world, the sandbox environment where you can go and you know complete activities and adventures and. You know, have fun in co-op and fly vehicles and stuff. And that's, that's great. All the systems work. Like, mission accomplished. But Except I was driving. Like, well, what, what do you, what, what's wrong with driving? I fucking hate driving in Far Cry games. And they, it's still the same. It's because you can't <laughs> like, go through I, the trees. No, I'm just like, I feel like every time I play a Far Cry game, I'm like, why is driving so terrible? And especially, I don't know why they keep putting an auto drive system in. Just take it out. It doesn't work. It never works. You're always like, Oh God, it's a disaster. Like it'll take you off road. It's like, it's like the episode of the office where he follows the GPS into the goddamn river. And oh, you're no. like, what? It's not good. No. I also, speaking of traversal in open world, there is an instance in one of the story missions where they force you to fly a plane in Uh-oh. the story mission. And I hate that because <laughs> flying planes is yeah. hard and you can't not you can't complete the mission unless you fly the plane and i'm like it's in more than one story mission actually it's in multiple right but there was a gun for hire one where i had to fly a helicopter but i was like helicopters are actually pretty easy yeah i have to, i think of all the vehicles the helicopters are my favorite just because i'm like all right cool up mm-hmm. over down like <laughs> i got that i could do that it's all yeah. the twisting and turning that becomes the problem <laughs> Man, like the, to go as the crow flies. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, no, I'm, but having I think a, I'm having a good time with Far Cry 5. You know, I think this will be the first Far Cry I finish. It's pretty. It's great to play with other people. Maybe I can play with one of you ladies. Yeah. 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 Something that I appreciated when I looked at the map is <laughs> it was not too large. And I was like, oh, this is like a good size open world game. Like, I don't feel overwhelmed looking at this. I feel like this is doable. I can complete this game. Granted, I'm not going to like 100% everything, but I'm going to like get a decent amount from each region, complete them, move on, and like have a good time. So that uh, that was a nice note for me. I was just like, okay, good size. Mm. Also, well, we go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say uh, 
you may have seen if you if you follow me on Twitter, you will have already seen this tweet. But the first, my first, my second first order of business <laughs> was um, get myself some fancy new outfit <laughs> because the outfit they give you is horrific, yeah, yeah especially bad. as a female character because the clothes don't fit very well. And um, I was like, this is awful. I cannot possibly be be taken seriously by anybody in this outfit. Speaking so of I- female characters, did you lady, I'm assuming you ladies also playing as a female character. I found that yes. like half the time when I would fall from high distances, my female character, it would give the male grunt. I think it was just probably like a pre-release bug or something like that, but it was Whoops. really funny. Oh, I don't remember the grunt. I do remember laughing hysterically at the animation where you fall on your ass. <laughs> Oh no, I would like fall and usually she's like, Ugh, but this time she's like, Bleh. and I was like, oh, well, it's a man's grunt. That sounded real gross. I mean, I, I make so many if weird you've gross fallen noises. from 20 feet. You'll maybe you'll sound like a man too. <laughs> no, it was definitely the male grunt. But yeah, that's, that's a very valid point, Samer. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But, um, yeah, so I did that and then Andrea was like, I've been spending my money on gun upgrades. And I was like, oh, that's probably the smarter move, but I really wanted, <laughs> I wanted my pants to fit and I wanted a cute top. So instead, I blew like six grand. On you clothes. so rarely see yourself, though. I don't care. It's it's. It, I know what I look like. <laughs> oh my god! Like I know that they're looking at me, thinking this lady couldn't even get a shirt that fits her. Why should we listen to her or trust her with anything? Her pants don't fit either. That's because that's how people are judging you when you're being taken over by a cult. You know, eighty percent's how you look. Ten percent's what you say. What's the other ten percent? Ten percent's how you say it. Oh. <laughs> Life advice. That's not the right percentage. But <laughs> there's a, it's an Eddie Izzard skit. And I messed up the percentages, but it's fine. <laughs> it's all good. It's totally fine. Well, we're gonna play more Far Cry. I'm um, interested to see how they're gonna tie the narrative up at the at the very end, and um, to see how it goes. So we'll definitely, you know, check back in. Hopefully, you guys are playing and having a good time with the game. Um, another game that came out recently that we didn't get a whole lot of chance to talk uh, talk about because we hadn't played yet was Steve Thieves. So we spoke last week about some of the griefing issues in the game. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to go in and see what happens. So, so far, um, when I do come across people in the game, the griefing issues are still there. Like people just like, people, nobody wants to like, hang out everybody just wants to murder you um and like the funny part is is like they have put a pirate's code on the tavern so when you spawn into the world you like walk by this code and you're supposed to like read the code and it's like you know make sure you settle all of your issues on the waters meaning like you should be fighting only in your boat out on sea you shouldn't be fighting like in on the outposts and i was like yeah that's cool that you put you put a posted code on the wall like anybody in in online spaces are gonna follow that yeah (laughs) yeah i know so i had a little chuckle about that um but the thing that i've learned in my time with sea of thieves so far is that the complaints that we had about the gameplay being light are still valid and I feel that way because even though there are more things to do than what we saw in the beta, there are, you know, skeleton forts and other quest lines. It still feels like a very empty open world, especially compared to a game like Far Cry that I'm playing as well. Also a $60 game where there is tons of stuff to do, tons of characters to meet, quest lines to follow, optional collectibles. Like 
it's just chock full of things to do. And Sea of Thieves is 100% not. So 100% is probably too much because that's all of it. But like, it's like, it feels like it's like a, a world that is just missing a lot of content. And the more frustrating part that I've discovered is that the gameplay loop, the the balance of the in-game economy and reward system feels completely out of balance. So I was playing and, you know, you'd go on these voyages uh, from these different factions. And when you get the chest, you bring the chest back, you sell the chest, you get gold for the chest. Gold then buys you customizations. It took me, I did some, I did some math for the amount of time it took me to earn a certain amount of gold. If I wanted to buy one customized sail, one of the most expensive items in the game, a sail for your ship. Also one of the coolest items because it's one of the things you can see because you can't see your customizations on your pirate because it's first person. And so you're like, okay, I want to buy a sail. 70,000 gold. With the math that I have, it's going to take me roughly 40 to 50 hours of gameplay to earn enough gold to do one sale. Oh my God. Unless in deeper levels, after I'm grinding out these chests, that if, if that's, if the chest becomes worth substantially more, which I, I hope they do, but I have to imagine that, you know, when you get more complicated voyages, that they are going to take a little bit longer. And I was like, and that's if I don't spend money on anything else. If I don't spend Ew. money on any other customization options. And that means mm. I can't spend, but you have to spend money to buy voyages and you have to spend money to unlock. You have to get reputation and then spend money to unlock other, other things. Wow. And I'm like, well, it's a good thing that they didn't put that death tax in, huh? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's why people were so upset. Yeah. Cause it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to spend 40 hours to get one goddamn sale. That's Dang. crazy. Yeah. So I saw some people in the forums because I was in the forums that said that they they would did a little bit of grinding and it took them like two to three days of grinding to get one sale and I'm like that's still too much especially when there's not a heck of How a lot they... to do that sounds like that wouldn't be a very fun grind no and so I'm like I'm trying I think if you do more forts you get more gold but okay you know, I was wondering like what things they did because obviously those people have figured out the min max. Like, right. What's like, the most optimal way to get gold? But I don't want to play a game where I have to farm for basic customization options. You know? No. Like, and then the other thing is like, is that it? That is it. So there's no levels. And this is the thing that's really missing. It's like, what am I grinding towards? Right. Am I literally only grinding for customization? What's, you know, like, what's my player level? You know, is there going to be unlockable quest lines once I get to a certain level? You know, are there certain quests or certain types of activities in the world, you know, that will make me level up faster? There's no skill tree, right? And it's, it's just like, I, this game, the reason why, it's so frustrating is because initially the gameplay mechanic feels really fun and like playing with your friends is fun, but I don't know like what's the point of it all. And the best thing, you know, that I've heard and I think we, I don't, can't remember if we talked about this on the show last week is that somebody says it feels like the aquatic version of no man's sky. Yeah. I've heard Mm -hmm. that. And I'm like, yes, it feels like it's like it feels that way. But the problem is like the griefing didn't exist in No Man's Sky. You could explore to your heart's content and no one was going to come along and kill you and take all your stuff. Yeah, but No Man's Sky was a little different in that 
I mean, it was promised to be the share world and then you never saw anybody. Yeah, the opposite Whereas, problem. I mean, you see, well, you see, yeah, exactly. Now you see people in CFDs, but they just kill you. Right. Well, they, I mean, in, in uh, I'm talking about just for clarification for people listening and watching, I'm talking about No Man's Sky when it launched. No Man's Sky today is a very different game and it's, it's much closer to what I think expectations were at launch. But you know, we're like over a year past now, but I feel like see, I feel like CFDs will do the same thing though. Yeah. But like, it's like, how do you not learn from their mistake? Right. You know, and clearly they're doing well. They announced, yeah. you know, like over a hundred thousand people streamed it and 10 million hours of streamed content and millions of players. And that's great. I think the sad part though is like the drop off for me is going to be yeah. instant. It's going to be like, Oh, this is cool. And now I'm really bored. I was now I'm done. also in some forums in the forums and some guy said that he spawned or he was on an island and he took him four spawns before he'd get off the island without being killed immediately. And I was like, holy crap, that sounds so frustrating. So, yeah, I think for me, I'm not going to touch this until like a PVE or a safe zone has been announced. I would just, again, I've said this, I would be flabbergasted if there was no such thing implemented at some point in the future, or at least plans to announce it. Because by then, hopefully, they'll have more content. Because I had so much fun playing with you ladies and just playing and drinking grog and wearing my underwear and wandering around and watching the waves go by and watching Andrea get frustrated because no one was, like, helping her steer the ship. Like, you know, like, that's so fun to me. Lower so, the sails. Raise the sails. Sail. Somebody so help like, me. Which ones? Like, I'm drunk. I can't get up the I'll stairs. I'll stand on your head and play the accordion, girl. I'll help you with that. But There was know. one time where I was too drunk. I could not get up the stairs. I tried real hard. <laughs> and it was just like, nope, yeah. nope. I nope. mean, so it's sad because I, I mean, this is something I've been, a game I've been looking forward to for a very long time, but I, I just don't have the time to waste, you know, once I, I hate losing progress. And I know some people love that adrenaline, that rush they get from knowing they're being hunted and they could lose all their progress. But for me, that's anxiety and I want nothing to do with that. So if I spend like an hour and a half, you know, getting chest and I get blown to smithereens, <coughs> that's enough for me to rage quit and be like, nope, no more. Yeah. Yeah, I do want to play with you, Andrea, now that the game's out, um, only because I want to see what it's like now, and I want to—I just want to experience it. Um, but I probably, after like a few hours of playing with you, will put it down. I would imagine, and then wait, and then see what sort of content yeah. they come out with later. Like my Governor Marley outfit, please. <laughs> yeah, but like that outfit—you don't even get to see it. I don't care. I also did you not just hear yeah. that I spent six thousand no, dollars in Far Cry on a of first? Of course I did, game? but like the in order for you to get it, do you know how much grinding you're gonna have to do to get that kind of an outfit? I would do it for that outfit because my Xbox Live avatar has it, so my Sea of Thieves character should. There you go. It's true. Lot true. I'm just frustrated because I wanted it to be more yeah. i wanted to be better because it's a beautiful looking game oh my god the water technology is the water crazy. tech is fantastic and i and like you know the the musical instruments and playing together and like the, the shanties and like this whole idea of like this pirate life is so alluring but it's just got it's just missing a lot so um i'll definitely play with you steimer so we can experience it together but i'm with you Britt. i think i'm gonna need to but also, put it down. Like, you and, played alone. I well, think I, I played, I played with some, games. I played with some friends for a while. There were three of us on a boat. Uh, we did the, just the three of us, and then we did the three of us where we match made with a fourth mm-hmm. public person. 
Um, and that was, that was an experience because we almost locked him in the brig just because he was doing nothing. Um, <laughs> on the and you were like, you may as well be down here if you're going to do nothing. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I did, I did play with other people. Um, I okay, did both, okay. I did both. And also, you just like, didn't you should play with me. Well, in- that's no, you know, that's not true. I know. Um, Damn, the, thing, time. the thing was, is that you shouldn't have a game that allows you to play solo or play with friends, but like have one of those options be the not right option. If there's a not right sure. option yeah. in your game, then it shouldn't be in your game. There you go. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, there's that's no fair. other game out there that's all Sea of Thieves-y, piratey. So I guess in that case, like, Rare can kind of be like, whoops, we're still working on it, still making it better, and they can afford to do that because there's nothing else like that out there. But people are going to drop off like me, and it's just, I'll be keeping an eye on it. We'll see. I hope they get their stuff together. And I know people are loving it. And I, I want to have – I have a few friends that love Sea of Thieves, and from the minute, like, the beta came out, they're like, game of the year. This is going to be game of the year. And it's like, okay, but now I want to have like honest conversations with them and be like, how are you really liking it? Can you see yourself playing this for months and months at a time? Like people play PUBG, you know, I'm kind of curious to find out. I think if you are, if you're somebody who has that like competitive itch, but like wants to have a a team-based thing, I think it could be really fun. I think, um, for me, that's not necessarily a draw for video games. Like I don't, like you, like you said, Britt, um, I don't really like people stealing my stuff i really like keeping it myself so for me that that hook is doesn't doesn't work for me but that's not to say it's not for other people um so and so and i've read a lot of stories where people are like this this game is super fun and i played with my friends and we took down these other pirate ships and it was amazing and i'm like yeah i'm sure it was amazing for you it was also really (laughs) terrible for the team you took down but (laughs) for for every happy pirate there is an unhappy pirate (laughs) True. I'm an unhappy pirate. Aww. Um, but uh, there are some other things that uh, we've been playing. Do you want to talk about um, Sims, Steimer? Oh, no. No, no? I didn't, no, that was old. That's fine. Okay. I want to hear about Brit and the Dragon Sinker. Dragon Sinker. It's got a cool name. It does. So this has been my airplane game. I, I somehow I'm going to Vegas before I go to Boston. So this will be what? Yeah, girl, I'm going to die. This is what I'm going to be playing on the airplane. Um, so this is an eight bit, eight bit graphic, eight bit sound game developed. Um, I can't remember who developed. I'm sorry. Anyway, it came out February 22nd. I'll look on, it up for you. Yeah. I think it was published by Tempka. Anyway. Yeah. And you get me girl. Anyway, it came out February on the switch and it's, like I said, 8-bit graphic, 8-bit sound. If you like the old Final Fantasy, if you like the old... It's very traditional turn-based RPG um, in the sense that, you know, you have your your three main characters. Well, okay. Let me let me rewind. It's kind of different. So there are... There's a dragon called Wormvarg, and yeah. there are three legendary weapons that can take him down. So there's the humans, the, the dwarves, and the elves. <laughs> now, there's the sword, the bow, and the axe. And you okay. have to rec- recover all three of these weapons and ultimately get them together to defeat this dragon. So what this game does that's a little different is you have, you know, your main group of characters. There's six of them total. But then you can recruit 12 party members and you can give them their 16 different jobs. So I didn't play a lot of Bravely Default, but maybe it's sort of like that. 
um, there's side quests and through these side quests, you can recruit party members and you can teach them to be proficient in thievery or in swordsman or, um, a bard and they learn specific skills and you can switch between three different members of four at any given time. So, okay. yeah, does that make sense? It's kind of, it's kind of different. If you're not familiar with that kind of mechanic, it's definitely different. But what I will say is if you are a fan of old school RPGs, especially that eight bit stuff, uh, you know, I think it'd be right up your alley. I like it. It's a cute nostalgic game. It's not something that I'm dying to play any given moment, but it's something that does pass the time and it is cute and does give me the warm and the fuzzies of, um, old turn based JRPGs. Do you feel bad that you are hunting Wormguard? Wormguard? No, I don't because he's an asshole. Because people were, people sacrificed villagers to keep this dragon happy. And finally, they're like, yeah, this is bullshit. We need to stop appeasing this dragon and kill him once and for all. And they're like, all right. What if he was like, I was just having a birthday party. I didn't <laughs> want any of these human sacrifices. Why are you evil people coming to kill me? Uh, what I will warn people about is there's an interesting mechanic I haven't seen before, and it's called the lottery. So every time you defeat uh, a random battle, there's a 50-50 shot, something like that. You're going to get something called dragon points. And then you can use these dragon points after you accrue 100 of them to participate in a lottery. Now, this isn't... Last time I checked, you can't use your real money on this, but it's a, it's a, essentially like, um, a loot box. And you will get specific items from it. You could get something that increases your speed, your strength, your intelligence, your defense permanently. And when I started out, I had a whole bunch of these points. And so I somehow made my character like a demigod. And now I one hit every boss I come across. And the problem with that is that it ruins the fun. Cause like, I feel like grinding is stupid because I have my one character. So I now I have no need to switch between all my other teams and level them up because why the hell would I do that when I have fucking God on my team? Um, so if you decide to play this game, just stay away from that because it won't, it will take the fun away from it. Uh, no, I think I'm going to do that. Yeah, there you go. I'm just going to go, I want to go up to people and go boop. And I want them to die. That's exactly what you do. Your your party's dealing like maybe thirty hit points of damage. You're doing like eight thousand. It's fantastic. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> I, I had no clue. I didn't know it was a permanent stat increase. I'm like, all right. That seems like a game breaking thing. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird, and I didn't know how like it happened until I realized. Yeah, I mean, it's it does, and it, and it's strange because it kind of fudges up the balance because you don't really know how strong you are and how strong you should be because you're that's how you measure throughout these games like how strong you need to be, and your other party members will die, but you're just like raw and you breathe and everything around you dies a miserable slow death because you're so powerful. But I mean, it's cute. It's I've, I've heard it's like a ten to twelve hour game. I think it's just you know, like maybe fifteen twenty bucks or something like that. So developed by nice. Chemco. Chemco, thank you. You're welcome. All right. All right. Well, this has been fun. Um, but we have a spoiler cast to get to. So, uh, friends, we are going to take another quick break. When we come back, we have my interview with Nicole Fawcett from Xbox. Plus, our life is strange before the storm. Farewell episode spoiler cast. We'll be right back. Everybody, this is the final segment of the What's Good Games podcast, and 
I am pleased to tell you that I had the amazing opportunity to sit down with Nicole Fawcett, the co-lead and a senior brand manager um, of the, well, she's not the senior brand manager of the Women in Gaming. She's the co-lead of the Women in Gaming initiative at Xbox and also a senior brand manager. She does a lot of things over there. Um, it was great to see her at the Women in Gaming rally. So Microsoft has been sponsoring a Women in Gaming event at the Game Developers Conference for a long time now. And this year was my eighth time attending the Women in Gaming event. And I got to bring my two lovely ladies with me. Um, and it was really fun, but I also got the chance to sit down and talk with her about what the Women in Gaming Initiative is all about, what uh, diversity means to Xbox and the games industry, and we had a really nice chat. So I'm going to go ahead and roll that chat for you guys, and uh, when it's done, we'll come back and we'll talk about it. So enjoy. Hey everyone, Andrew Renee here from What's Good Games. I am here with Nicole Fawcett, the co-lead for the Women in Gaming initiative over at Xbox. And she's also a senior brand manager there. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me during GDC, one of our busiest weeks of the year. Oh yeah, it's totally busy. Thanks, Andrea, for having me. I'm super excited to be chatting about this. So this year I brought Christine Steimer and Brittany Braunbacher, my two co-workers here at What's Good Games, to their first Women in Gaming event at GDC. This year was my eighth time going. And it's wow. one of my favorite events to go to every year because getting to hear from some of the leaders in our industry, women who have decades of experience, while simultaneously meeting some young women who are getting into video games and it's like their first year, seeing the dichotomy of that is always so incredible. How long have you been working on the Women in Gaming Initiative? Well, Xbox has actually had the Women in Gaming Initiative well uh, before my time. It's actually over 20 years old. And it actually started with Bonnie Ross, Shannon Loftus, Kiki Wolfkill. They were kind of part of the original group. And it started at a E3 um, where they just got together for some casual cocktails. And then, you know, one friend brought another friend the next year and it kind of grew and grew from there. So it's been around for quite a long time. I have actually only been involved for the past two years. Um, and in that time, you know, I've really focused on trying to broaden it and make it um, a brand at Xbox and, um, you know, in the industry, something that people know about um, and get excited about coming to our events and being a part of uh, and really kind of taking it from that internal organization to something that's more industry-wide. I think it's fantastic that Microsoft is going out of their way to make sure that this is something that they do and that's something that they finance and that they promote. Uh, I was excited to see that Ubisoft and EA were partners this year and really kind of taking down like the company lines and saying, hey, we can like be friends because we all work in video games together. You don't have to work for Xbox in order to be part of this initiative. Um, what changed for you guys this year? It became a rally. So for people who are watching or listening that maybe have never heard about the Women in Gaming event, I first started coming, it was still the luncheon. And it was a relatively small yeah. luncheon when I first came. And then, you know, the final luncheon year, over 300 you know, women at the event uh, to the mixer from last year. And now this all day event with panels. How did that evolution happen? 
Yeah. So it'd been a luncheon for years and years, and it was really a special moment that a lot of women look forward to. You know, they went to, um, I think it was the Hyatt there in San Francisco, and it was just like a really lovely event. But the realities was it was capped at like 200, 250 um, women. And we just kept hearing from people that were like, I've heard about this and I want to go, but I can never get in. I can never get a ticket. And honestly, that is you know, kind of not quite in the spirit of inclusivity and celebrating our industry. And so we were like, okay, we really need to remove those barriers and give people a chance to come and celebrate um, being a woman in the industry, meeting people and giving them the chance to network and, you know, meet senior women and uh, and meet new friends. And the, the luncheon, even though it was a great event and it was, um, it was just really inspiring and, and heartwarming for a lot of people, it just wasn't uh, open enough. So this year we went big and we decided, you know what, we're going to try something totally new. We're going to move to the Jewish Museum, which has a fantastic venue and it's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful space. And uh, we're going to keep it open all day long and we're going to see what happens. And it really was a learning year for us. And we had about 800 people come through the doors on wow, Tuesday. Wow, that's crazy. It's- I know it's insane. And so trust me, like I had nightmares, like keeping me up at night that nobody was going to come to this thing. Um, but yeah, we really wanted to keep it as inclusive as possible. Um, it was a drop in, drop out format. So, you know, there's so much going on at GDC and, you know, we didn't want to take people away from the stuff that they were there for. So they could come in, you know, for a session, get something to eat, drop out, go back to GDC, come back later for the rally. And it, it really seemed to work. And then, as you said, with, you know, partnering with Ubisoft and EA, they were amazing partners. And a lot of that has just come out of, you know, uh, organic friendships that we've made in, in the industry. You know, it's a very small industry, especially, um, you know, amongst women, we kind of know a lot of each other. That's very and, true. <laughs> uh, exactly. And so a lot of it was just, you know, my friend at, at Ubisoft, Heather Steele, um, she works in the Toronto studio. She was just like, hey, we really want to be part of this. And this is something we've been trying to do. And, you know, let's get this together. And so um, uh, same with EA. And we were, were able to have those conversations and really just strip away a lot of any sort of bureaucratic or corporate red tape and and just say, you know what, this is in the spirit of women coming together. Uh, let's just get this, let's just get this done. Let's go for it. And so really the kind of go for it attitude really sums up the entire rally this year. And so we had a great, we had a great time. And I think we're going to keep that format moving forward. Just it'll, it will obviously change and, and, um, you know, uh, as the industry changes and the audience changes, we'll, we'll change too. But, uh, we want to make sure everybody has the opportunity to attend. One of the, Parts of the rally that I really enjoyed was the keynote um, with Bonnie Ross, and I always say her name wrong. Is it Lisi? Lisi. Yes. So yeah, Lisi Kane. She was wonderful, and hearing her story about where she got started and the work that she's doing with the Geek Girl Academy and the women that she's working with in Australia was really interesting to me because I think it's something that a lot of people forget about that. You know, when we were young women, 
we were never encouraged to take on science roles or math roles or computer programming roles. I mean, computer programming was really just starting to become a thing they were teaching in schools while I was coming up. Um, and really kind of hearing the backstory about like why it's so important to get in at a young age with girls who are even as young as five years old to say like, Hey, have you thought about, have you thought about science? Have you thought about computers? And I thought that her, her story and the work that she's doing was, was really inspiring. Had you worked with her previously? No, we actually hadn't worked with her. Um, Lisi actually was a, uh, panelist idea that kind of came from as we looked through women in the industry, we were seeing, you know, there's lots of women in senior roles that have um, amazing stories about their legacy and how the, the industry has changed. But um, she kind of was like a she's a triple threat, right? She's a producer at a video game company. She has this geek girl academy. Um, so she does a lot of kind of, uh, you know, social good. She does a lot of teaching, um, you know, teaching girls about getting into games and doing coding camps and things like that. And she's also just a very well-established speaker um, and, and does like a lot of keynotes and uh, a lot of great um, exposure out there in the industry, champion for diversity. And that kind of trifecta of all those things kind of coming together in her was just, she just was a perfect choice for us. And again, the kind of um, combination of her and Bonnie together, that kind of uh, two different generations, but still you know, united over the same, um, you know, a quest for diversity or, you know, uh, kind of keeping, making sure that we're putting, you know, women at the center. Uh, that was really important to us as well. And I thought they had, they had a really great chemistry. I thought they were really kind of had neat little parallels in their lives. Um, and so, yeah, the keynote just kind of happened to, to fall together quite quite naturally. And she's just a, like, I kind of call her a sparkler. She's just a sparkler <laughs> of a person. She's just great to listen to. She's so upbeat and positive. Um, and she's, you know, she comes from Australia, which is a very small market and, but it's very universal in what she deals with. And it can be applied to the same things that, you know, is happening here in the U S or Canada or over in EMEA. And, uh, yeah, she's just an awesome, an awesome, awesome lady. I thought it was very interesting hearing Bonnie talk about the enormous amount of research and data that Microsoft as a company does about women in these, you know, science, these STEM fields and how that there's been certain trends that are emerging in, you know, you showed a video during the presentation kind of running over some of these stats. How have you and Microsoft as a company really taken some of those learnings and tried to apply them to new hiring practices or trying to make sure that your teams are as diverse as possible? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of work going on in the diversity and inclusion field at Microsoft and especially for women. And, um, you know, at Xbox, it's a, it's a few things. So, um, in terms of young girls, you know, we partner with Girls Make Games. We have that game camp, um, that takes place, uh, on campus every year. And a lot of the women in gaming team are actually, you know, the volunteers and mentors that show up every day, along with obviously the Girls Make Game Camps counselors. Um, so we try to kind of put, uh, put ourselves into action in terms of being seen by these girls and showing them that, hey, we're real women that work in this industry. Right. Uh, and I think that's really important, right? It's not just them going and talking to counselors or, um, you know, uh, teachers. They, they need to see that there's women that are here. That's, this is their job. Um, so there's, there's part of that. Uh, there's absolutely, you know, on the Microsoft side, they, 
we fund a lot of money into advertising, um, to, you know, uh, about our STEM initiatives. We do full out campaigns about, you know, girls getting into STEM. So we have take a really strong advocacy role on the recruiting side. I can't hugely speak to it because I don't really work so much in HR, but, you know, it was really important for us to have, you know, HR and recruiting come to our um, rallies as well as, you know, women in gaming. Also, we make up, even though we're this kind of um, internal organization, we try to feed into a number of pipes that are going on at the, in the Xbox world, whether it's, you know, helping with specific product or content or engaging directly with our, um, you know, our recruiting counterparts on where they need to be. You know, uh, we talk a lot about Grace Hopper with them as well as E3 and the type of women um, that they can be talking to at those events. How to network, how to recruit, you know, is very different for women versus men. What Absolutely. You, you know, you know, how you present the company. Um, uh, and so we, we definitely try to inform their approaches that way as well. And that's the, that's the cool thing about, um, you know, women in gaming and, and the, the kind of diversity initiative is it's, it's not even really an initiative. It's a value, right? It's a value that we hold at Xbox. And um, it's something that we seek out, others seek out, and we try to infuse into kind of everything that we're doing in our day-to-day jobs, I think it's absolutely fantastic that that you guys are doing this and and this has been an ongoing program for you. So when we started What's Good Games, it was a big thing for us as an all-female team that we never wanted to be labeled as like a girl gaming podcast. Not that there's anything wrong with that or women who choose to identify that way, but we really wanted to focus on our many years of experience working in the video games business. But I was thinking about this while I was at the the rally during the keynote and I, I almost asked for the microphone to ask this question, but I was like, no, I'm going to let I'm going to let all the developers actually ask their questions. But so I wanted to ask you, how do you balance this idea of wanting to own being a woman and everything that comes along with that, whether it be femininity or a sense of pride or passion or whatever that identifies to you, while also recognizing like I want to also make sure that people recognize that I'm getting to where I am and the women in our industry have earned their roles because of their skills. Because I feel like it's something personally that I struggle with a lot. Yeah, I hear that a lot from women as well. And I get it. Like, um, I love what you guys do. And it's it's about normalizing the behavior, right? Like normalizing that it's not weird that there's four women hosting a game show. You're not this kind of unique um specific niche that isn't for the general gaming population like it doesn't shouldn't matter that you're women talking about games and i think that is like that's the dream that's the goal right but where we are right but where we are today unfortunately the numbers just don't reflect that experience and also um the way we work in our industry and the you know, I don't want to go into a negative place, but the things that happen to women still don't reflect that general consensus that it's normal to be a woman in games or it's normal for women to like games. And it's it's awesome that um, the world is getting there. And, you know, I hear lots of arguments that are like, it's, it shouldn't matter. You're right. It shouldn't matter. But, man, there are some pretty hefty milestones that women still have to climb and um, overcome in terms of being heard, uh, having a valid voice at the table, getting into leadership roles, um, 
you know, uh, just being taken seriously, not being targeted online, like all those things. Uh, that's the world that I want to live in where it doesn't matter. My gender really doesn't matter to my job. Um, but it's, it's, we're not there yet. And there's a lot of work that still has to be done. I know, sadly. And I think that's why, you know, the, the rally still exists. And, and and I think that's why we, we kind of still have to do a lot of work to build ourselves up um, as an as a community that we do have worth, we do have value. There are amazing women doing stuff. Uh, we have to tell our own stories because for a long time nobody was telling those stories for us. And um, you know, we we still have to encourage we have to encourage that mindset. And I think, you know, there's a lot happening in the world around like discourse about women and employment. And it's not just related to the gaming industry. It's all industries, really. And it's a it's a cool time to have those conversations. And they're hard and they're ugly and they're uncomfortable. But like now is the time to have them. Um, and so that's exciting. And I, it feels like we can get to this place where um, it doesn't matter that we're we're women, we're we stand on our own two feet and we, we know, we know our shit, we know our games, we know what we do. Um, and, and our gender has no bearing on that. Absolutely. Amen to that. I get asked, I get asked all the times, as I'm sure you do, like, is it actually getting better? And I am so happy to know that it is. While obviously we all agree we have a long ways to go, um, it is getting better and that is hopeful, not just for people like you and me, but for the millions of young women out there who are looking at jobs in this business and going, I want to do it, but I'm kind of afraid. So, um, if people are listening and they want to get involved or they want to learn more about what you guys are doing with women in gaming, where can they go? Yeah, so we're really active on Twitter, so you can follow us at Women in Gaming, and um, we typically post, you know, if we're doing events or things that are going on inside Xbox. We're also, again, very industry agnostic, so we post any job postings that we see from other studios or, you know, we're seeing apprenticeships or scholarships. We're very good at, like, trying to bubble up that so that women can have some exposure to that. So follow us on Twitter, and then we're also on Instagram, same, at Women in Gaming. Wonderful. Do you guys have any other events coming up in the future? You know, we're trying to get something together for E3, so um, definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, our events are largely industry-focused, but at the same time, we kind of welcome everybody. So, um, you know, if you're a streamer or you're a consumer and you happen to be at E3, um, we're a really welcoming group of gals, so definitely feel free to come on by. Um, so stay tuned to something like that. And then, of course, we will most likely be at GDC again next year with kind of the next round of the rally and what that looks like. So, um, yeah, we're we're here to stay, and we've got lots of fun stuff planned. Well, Nicole, I could just sit and chat with you all afternoon, but I know that you're a busy woman and you, I have to let you go. But thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with us. And thanks to everybody for listening. Please do go follow Women in Gaming on Twitter. Uh, I love seeing all the stuff that you guys post there. And um, have a great afternoon. Thanks. You too. Thanks for having me. All right. So that was a really fun time chatting with Nicole. A big thank you to her for taking the time once again. Um, so Britt and Steimer, this was yes. your first women gaming event, correct? Yes. No. DC? No. Um, <laughs> I don't know. This was not. I've been to the, the luncheons that they've had before. Okay. Um, what did you, what did you think about the new format, Steimer? 
Um, I thought it was interesting. So before, like I said, it was just, well, at least to my knowledge, maybe I only went to part of it, but it was just like a lunch where you came in and you were sat at a table with just whoever happened to sit down. And I remember that year I I met at the time she worked at Bioware. She was like the lead engineer on a system. I don't remember which, which thing she did. But, um, and I was just like, oh my God, you work at Bioware. And I just like started talking her ear off. Um, and then this year was interesting because it had a bit of, um, so I went to like, it was a whole day instead of just a lunch. And that obviously gave a lot more opportunity, but it was more spread out. So it was also a little harder to kind of like go up and talk to someone. Um, but they had panels, which I thought were pretty interesting. We watched one. Um, with the FIFA team and like, I just think it's really cool and inspiring to see badass ladies up there, like talking about what they do and, and being very confident in themselves. Um, cause it kind of like rubs off a little bit on you. Absolutely. And what was great about the way that they changed the format this year is that it allowed so many more people, you know, as Nicole and I were discussing in, in the video, um, you know, they had, over 800 people come through the doors at the event this year. And uh, that was really fantastic. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, how it evolves over the years and to getting more where women involved. Britt, since this was your first time, what was a big takeaway for you as somebody who has obviously been in the video games business for a while, but has never been to this event before? What was really cool for me, and this was the first time I experienced this, is when we were at the keynote and we we're in that big conference room and you just see all the, all of these women that work in the industry, developers, media, all, they do all the things, they wear all the hats. It was the first time I had been in a room full of women that are in the industry and it was like, yeah, like Samber was saying, you know, you kind of get like that little pep in your step, you know, it just makes you feel like, yeah, empowered and these are like your colleagues and your friends and it was a really cool, memorable moment for me to just kind of be amidst all of that. Awesome. Absolutely. I definitely agree. And I, you know, thank um, Microsoft for making it a priority and for sponsoring the event. And EA and Ubisoft were also co-sponsors of the event this year. And I look forward to seeing what they do next and to um, the next generation of young women who are coming up and getting involved in STEM fields and uh, looking forward to maybe some careers in the art making of video games. So that's very cool. Um, so now we are going to finally put a button on Life is Strange Before oh. the Storm. It's come to the end. The farewell episode, the bonus episode, uh, where the original voices of Max and Chloe, Hannah and Ashley are back. I immediately like fell right back in with max like it was crazy how like just took me right back there uh for the original life is strange max caulfield um i was a little hesitant about this because i was like i don't know after like having such an amazing story between chloe and rachel in the first three episodes i was like i don't know if i want to go back to max's story but it was it was nice um it was short it was a lot shorter than i thought it was going Mm -hmm. to be um, but do you have the choices pulled up there, Britt? There weren't really that many there's, there's choices. There's no choice, really. Well, there is, there's like. I mean, but the choices are, are like telltale stuff. Telltale. Like, so it doesn't, doesn't divide. Unfortunately, ladies, and I meant to do this beforehand. This is how professional I am. My PSN was not connecting to the network last night. My computer, my computer, my PlayStation 4. 
So I was not able to get the choices. I have, no, it doesn't have them. Oh, there's it doesn't none. bring them up. Oh, there's not. It doesn't bring them up. Okay, maybe. Well, that's I mean, why there then. are there are there are choices within the but episode, no, but they don't. Not really. But they don't populate. No, I mean, there are the, the there are choices. Timer. If we're if we're gonna if we're I'm, gonna nitpick, but I'm there telling are, you that I'm saying the choices a, are artificial. Correct. Oh my gosh. I'm going to reach through this screen and strangle your pretty little face. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Why? I'm being honest because like before when we would discuss well, you're still the, making a choice. You're still making a choice. Before. Still making a choice, Steimer. No. Admit, admit it, Steimer. Admit it. It's not a choice you're, because yes, the you, fucking yeah. storyteller already knows which way it's trying to put you. It's there. It's an illusion. It's a fucking illusion. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fight. I love you all so much. <laughs> riled up riled up for so for me going into this i had i had a sneaking suspicion that they were going to place this on around the death of chloe's father and you know the scene opens up and you see max and chloe you know no one none of the parents are home they're getting ready to blow up some barbies and you know that it goes along its merry way and then at one point chloe makes a remark oh i thought my parents would be home by now and then as soon as she said that, my stomach just did like a million like knots. And I was like, oh, no. they're gonna uh, See, what's funny is I didn't put that together. Oh, no. Until I didn't get to that until like way later in the episode. Now, <laughs> so, so the scene opens up and you have a choice after they blow up the Barbies as Max to either like praise Chloe or tell her she's crazy for blowing said Barbies up. And Jason was sitting next to me. And I started getting a little misty-eyed. And he was like, wow, you're crying already. I'm like, no, you don't understand. And then I try to rehash all of Chloe. And like this young, innocent 13-year-old girl who has a really good life. She has great grades. She has a lot of loving parents. So many things going for her. She's going to die. One of her best friends is going to die. This other best friend is going to abandon her. And she's going to lose yeah. everything and anything. She's going to lose her scholarship. She's gonna, It's not going to be good for her. And it's so tragic. And I tried to explain that to Jason. And he was like, okay. And then I think he got the hint and walked away and left me alone. So I could experience. He was like, sure. He's like, sure. No, but no. Yeah, it's it was interesting seeing um, Chloe as regular chloe right right like, as what she was before her life kind of took that tragic turn yeah and i was like damn this sucks because like i like this chloe and she seems cool and grounded and like fun and mm-hmm. um you know had like you said had a lot of things going for her i granted i didn't cry or even like get remotely misty during this oh. i think that's because i kind of i guess because you have a when cold I was, dead heart it was because when i was going into it <laughs> I knew that they were, I knew what they were trying to do. Sure. And so I was like, meh. Like I was, so yes. So I put up the cold dead heart filter. Yeah. Filter and it, played it I think, through. I think for me, this, and I've talked about this before on the show, this whole story just resonates with me so much because while I never had like the exact relationship that Chloe and Max had, you know, I did have friends growing up that did have troubled childhoods. And we did lose our way and we did fall out of touch. And to see Chloe and Max as teenagers enjoying such an innocent but, like, fun time, you know, when you get to sleep over at your best friend's house three days a week or something. And you just could order pizza and hang out and hang out in the room. And just knowing what tragic fate they had and knowing that I've lost friends, but we had, like, those exact same fun moments, it just really hit me. And I was like, oh, my God, it's going to happen. It just... See, like, walking through Chloe's room and seeing how she, like, you see her report card. It's all, like, A's. Maybe she got a B in PE. 
And if you look at... Which is crazy, because, like, yeah. how do you get a B in PE? I mean, I got a B in PE just... once, because I wore my jeans, because I thought I was cool. Oh. I thought I was okay, rebelling. Well, they knocked you an entire grade for that? That seems extreme. My teacher is an asshole. Okay, that's fair. That's but just right. seeing, like, her grades and seeing, you know, letters that her and Max would write and see how Chloe's name was all in pretty cursive and how Max's handwriting looked a little sloppy and Max's little quips, like... Chloe's a nature nerd. You know, it's just like seeing the way she was and reading the emails praising her and her academic skills and just knowing what ends up happening. It's just fucking shitty, man. I was a hot mess. I was a blubbering mess. Yeah, I think one thing that I uh, didn't actually know, like, really much about this episode. I mean, I knew that it had the original voice actors coming back, but I didn't really know what the what storyline they were going to go with. Um, And I was just... When I think jumping back to it was difficult for me mm-hmm. because I I was so ingrained in like Chloe um and oh my god I'm Rachel. wow how my what yes Rachel I'm like wow my brain was just like delete that name <laughs> uh, <laughs> like I was I was bought into that story to so to then go back to the original story uh kind of threw me off a bit mm-hmm. and I almost I was kind of felt like I wish that this had been a bonus episode for the original Life is Strange. I felt like that would have made a lot more sense. Um, well, they they dropped a lot of... There was a lot of, like, narrative hints. So, like, in Before the Storm, you know, Max's... Um, the, the, the notebook that Chloe has plays such a big role, right? She's, so she's writing letters to Max throughout there, and we're seeing Chloe in, like, a post-Max world. In, in the sense of the, the... The thing I liked about what Farewell did is it really helped cement why Chloe is in such a dark place and why she is so like such a tragic character. Cause even though we know that Chloe's dad dies cause he goes through, it, it's mentioned in both games, like kind of seeing it in real time was so much more impactful. So like, did you choose to tell Chloe or to not tell her? I told that her you were I told, leaving. I tried to tell her twice. Yeah. Okay. I the first time I picked no, I chose not to tell her the first time, but then I chose to tell her the second time. Even if you try to tell her the first time, you don't tell her. Okay, well you don't need to be angry about it, Steimer. Jeez, man, I made a. You're giving me a choice, and then you're taking it away from me. Welcome to video Um, games. There was a there was a specific moment where Max says where they're like when you're walking around the world, and she's she makes a quip about. Oh, I can't see myself wanting to like solve like a murder mystery. Oh, I wrote that down. I took a picture of that. Yeah. She says, quote, no foreshadowing. I don't think I could handle a real life murder investigation. And I was like, oh, girl. Well, too bad. Buckle up, kiddo. Oh, man. Oh, it was. It, it was hard. I mean, I'm happy they did this bonus episode because, you know, I feel like it does tie up some ends like. What were they like as kids? Because we've only ever seen it hinted. We've never actually seen it in action. Watching them interact, it's so bizarre to me still to think that after this happens, I mean, so Chloe's father dies. Max leaves like two days later. And obviously, Max does not keep in touch with Chloe. It's like, Max, why didn't you keep in touch with your girl? And I'm like, she's 13. I think that's what this episode was missing for me is I had kind of hoped that they would give... Even even just a hint of some kind, like even if it's just a cutscene of showing Max like 
struggling to just find words to, to speak to Chloe or to write to Chloe. Like if it had her like struggling with a, to writing a letter and like throwing away a draft or something, I think that would have yeah I made agree more with sense because mm-hmm. it's because it just kind of abruptly ends with her bouncing at the funeral and like then leaving that tape for Chloe, which tear. Oh man. Um, but I'm like, why? Yeah, exactly. Why didn't you like write your poor friend who like really needed you or called her or have you, I'm not going to ask you this question. I said, I'm going to speak from my own personal experience. So I had a friend of mine who lost her father and I was really close with her dad because we spent a lot of time together and I was in a position where I was like, I don't know what to say to you. Cause like, that's some really hard, heavy, mm-hmm. tough stuff, losing a parent. And it got to the point where she and I stopped talking for a while because I was like, what do I say? How do I say it? How do I reach out? Am I bothering her? Does she want to be alone? Does she want to talk to somebody? And, and so instead of like, reaching out, I just stopped talking to her. And that's probably what Max went through. But like you said, Steimer, we never saw that that play out. You know, like Deck Nine didn't t- didn't take it there. But as somebody who like went through that in real life, like I didn't know how to process that kind of grief. And I didn't know how to be there to support my friend. And, and that was, that happened to me as a young, as a young adult, as somebody who was in my twenties, not somebody who was 13. Right. I would imagine it would be even more difficult to deal with at a, at a younger age. And I think that that was an opportunity missed because what this series really excels at is taking on really heavy, deep, hard subject matter. And approaching it head on and saying, we're going to talk about this and we're just going to go for it. And they kind of had the opportunity to go after the, the element of grief that, that appears throughout all of the episodes of Life is Strange, both the original season and before the storm and really explore it further. And they didn't. And that was, you know, I think a miss. I think they, they should have. Yeah. No, I completely agree, Andrea. And like, yeah. And so. I didn't want to be dismissive before. I do think, like you said, yeah, it's a heavy thing to process. As Max has said, she also is there all of the time. Like, so she was very clearly close to this father as well, to Chloe's father as well. Um, so it's like, it's off. It's, she's also grieving. Um, she's losing her friend. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's going on with her. I wish, I guess, that they just showed more of that and explained it. I guess they maybe figure you'll figure it out on your own, but. I think it would have been nice to see. Yeah, that teenage angst isn't real, especially going through something so tragic that most adults don't even know how to handle, let alone just being a teenager and trying to process all of that. I did like how we got to see a little bit more of William. Um, we didn't see him physically, but we did get to see right. some of his antics. You know, there is a um, personality. Yeah, when you're in Joyce and William's room, there's a flyer or something in there about early childhood education. And William had made a note on there. And he's like, if you really want to do this, we'll make it happen. So you know that Joyce, I don't know if this was touched on in the later games, but Joyce wanted to be an early childhood teacher. So they had like this future plan and William's like, I support you 100%. Also, when you find the time capsule and he does his little pirate voice and he's like, I, you know, your stuff was basically going to disintegrate, you stupid kids. So I... 
made it so you would find this someday. You know, and it was just, just hearing the way Chloe talked about him, it was really great to see that. I mean, obviously it's tragic what happened, but it was, I'm happy we got to like learn a little bit more about him. And you learned why. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, no, you're right. It just feels like more of a gut punch. Mm -hmm. Like all of that, all of that characterization and learning. Because what before the storm did so excellently with William as a character is that they really painted him as this really fantastic person, like a, a wonderful husband, a great dad, just like an all around like good guy. And then like, it's just like another, another fucking gut punch in this episode. Mm -hmm. It was just like, man, William, why you gotta be so good? Can't you just like, can, can you screw up just a little bit? Can you have like a secret problem? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was like, stop being such a nice guy. Now I'm like double sad that you're gone. But for me, none of that was necessarily new. And I, and so the thing, and this isn't new either, but the only part of the episode where I saw it, it was a very minor moment. Um, it that kind of like was like oh that makes me sad was at the funeral and chloe is sitting next to her mom and her mom goes to try and hug her or make some sort of content and chloe pulls away i miss that um but it's i it's a it's a subtle moment where joyce makes a very like minor like i'm moving towards you and chloe like rejects her uh and so and then joyce goes back and kind of like goes inward and I was like, that is the saddest thing, especially seeing their relationship and how far it disintegrates. I guess I wouldn't have thought it began so soon after the funeral. I would have thought that that was something that had gone, uh, that had occurred later, but it kind of, they were basically planting that seed of like, this is, this grieving moment can bring people together, but that's not the case for these two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I'm trying to remember. William died because he was picking Joyce up from the diner. Now, what, did Joyce ask him to make a pit stop or something? So I'm wondering if that does, does, does Chloe ever mention that she holds any resentment toward her mom because she asked William to pick her up that day in any of the later games? I don't think so. That's a, I don't remember. That's a deep any cut that it? I I don't. Yeah, I can't speak to. So um, I'm wondering if that's why she turned away, or if, like you said, Simon, it was just the beginning of like the downhill shenanigans. I think it's just the beginning of Chloe's 13 and lost her father and doesn't know how to process any of these emotions and sure. is rejecting any sort of contact, even when she's listening to the tape from Max. I thought she was going to shut it off at some point. Like she kind of looked pissed. Um, at the beginning, and I think that's probably, you know, again, all these emotions, one of them being you're leaving me, you a-hole. Like, I can't believe, like, you're still leaving after everything that just happened. Um, but like the way that they did the emotions on her face, I thought was really well, like, really well done toward the end when she's listening to that tape. Um, cause it, she just kind of goes through a variety of like angry, sad, which I think is, is pretty natural. She reminded me a lot of Rachel. She looked like her a bit in the way she acted. It was kind of weird. I don't know. This this game's too emotional. I'm sad. <laughs> We've probably seen the last of, of Chloe and Max and definitely the last of Rachel. But, uh, you know, I, I'm ready for some maybe happy, happy stuff. But I don't know. I don't think Life is Strange 2 is going to be any happier. I just no. no. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to exploring <laughs> other stories. Hell of a ride. Indeed. Um... Yeah, I hope we get to find out what's happening with Life is Strange too. It was almost a year ago that Don't Nod um, announced that they were working on it. Mm-hmm. So maybe E3 this year? Question mark? That'd be cool. Um, 
but um we hope that you guys enjoyed our spoiler casts and if you guys want to hear a spoiler cast for any other games that are out there um let us know you can always email us at contact at whatsgoodgames.com you can head on over to facebook.com slash what's good games and leave a post on our wall you can tweet to us at what's good underscore games um yeah generally uh we're we're around the social medias on youtube.com slash what's good games as well um i think that's gonna wrap it up for us this week uh thanks so much for tuning in and listening um did i miss any housekeeping for anything just the PAX stuff. By the time Do you want to talk about your did. other panel at PAX, Britt? Yeah, we have – Andrea, we're doing another panel together. Yeah, so we have a couple panels that we're doing. So um, on Thursday at 3, 3 p.m.? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I totally am having a brain fart. No, it's okay. There's a lot going on. I am too. I'm thinking, like, when the heck are we doing this? Okay, so we have – Thursday, April 5th at 3 p.m. in also in the Iraqan Theater, The Audacity of Hype. We're going to talk about social media. Yeah, so this great. is like the fourth or fifth time that they've done this panel, and uh, it's with some really cool folks. Um, we've got Esco Blades, got Jackie Collins, um, uh, Dave Oshry, um, and some other people. Um, wait, who is the other person? I keep forgetting her name because we've name, never met in person. Meg Kaylee. Yeah. GameStop TV host, Twitch partner, pun-loving goofball. Found that on her Twitter profile. It's going to be great, everybody. Um, so that's that. And then the kind of funny panel, the 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 wing ding, bring your own wings, is 7 p.m. on Thursday. And then our panel is 3 p.m. on Friday. And then Paxamania, Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m. I really wish they would give them a different time slot. <laughs> And then I have a panel Thursday from 1 to 2 in the Bumblebee Theater called How to Network When You're Awkward as Heck. That'll be a good one. If yeah. If you're awkward and weird like me, perfect. I'll teach you how to do it. Help. Can you, t- can you teach me how to do it, Britt? Girl, no. But you're not awkward. Yeah, I'd say you're too, like, composed to be awkward. You're like a professional. I just gotta get you real drunk, and then we'll make it happen. <laughs> okay. We had a few of those moments at GDC. It was great. It's true. When you end up singing karaoke at one o'clock in the morning during GDC, you know, it's been a good week. And when you thought you're at McDonald's, but it turns out you're at Carl's Jr., that's fine. Hey, too. you know what? Sometimes you forget things. <laughs> <laughs> Stars, arches, they're all the same. Yeah, exactly. It was a good time. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for us. Have a fantastic weekend. We will be back next week with another episode with a special guest. Jared Petty is going Yay! to be on the show. We've been wanting to get him on for a long time. He is wonderful. He will be on next week. Until then, have a fantastic weekend. Bye.